just inducted as a member and serving already. Isn't that fantastic? Thanks, Michael. Friends, it's uh, great that we can gather to hear the word once again as we continue our series in the book of Ephesians, a series called uh, One, as it talks about what it means to be united in Christ, what it means to be one family, one new humanity, and how that changes everything about the way we live. And I hope you've been um, challenged and encouraged through this series as we continue on into Ephesians chapter 3. Now, friends, who doesn't want to fit in, right? Who doesn't want to fit in? As I think from the day that we're born, we're, we've got this inherent desire to fit in, don't we? To want to belong, to not stand out too much, uh, to be a part of something bigger. Uh, even if you like to think of yourself as special and you want to be a little bit different, you don't want to be too different, right? Otherwise, that would be weird. You still want to fit in to the community. You still want to be seen as uh, someone that's part of the bigger thing, you know, the bigger community. I think we're all acutely aware of that. It, we, we show that through the way that we think about how we look, for example. Now, my children are very young, but even from this age, it's amazing how conscious they are about how they look, right? Sometimes we tell them to get dressed, and it's like a fashion show upstairs, and they take so long to just pick something to wear, and they're just five years old, right? But isn't that the same for all of us as we wake up in the morning? as we think about what we wear, or as we think about what people are going to think about what we wear and how we look. And we express this in our behavior as well, uh, either consciously or subconsciously, as we engage with people, we pick our words and our actions uh, to make sure that we don't stand out too much, to make sure that we're sort of fitting in with everybody else, to not um, be seen as weird, to not be seen as different. That's a natural human thing, isn't it? But friends, if you're a Christian here today, if you're a part of God's church, then let me tell you something. You are different. And God wants you to be different. You aren't supposed to just blend in. You aren't supposed to just be like another one of the crowd. You aren't supposed to be uh, not someone that stands out. You are different. We are different. And He wants us to live like that. And that is at the core, actually, of everything that God has planned for this universe, for His people and His church to be different, to stand out. This is His plan, friends. And as we go into Ephesians 3 today, we're going to see how that makes a difference. The fact that the church is at the center of all God's plans. And as we go through our passage, we'll be looking at three points today. Number one is we know the mystery Number two is we show God's wisdom. And number three, we know and show love. And we'll be spending a majority of our time in the first two points, right? So there's a brief outline of what we are doing today. Now, friends, please keep your Bibles open with you because we're looking at God's Word, aren't we? So let's open God's Word up and have a look, at, have a look with me at verse 1, um, which starts with this. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, just to give you a little bit of an overview about what's going on in this passage, Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, and he's just about to launch into a prayer for them, you know? I'm going to pray for you, but he actually gets distracted like the best of us, and most of this passage is him talking about other things. He doesn't get into the prayer till verse 14, okay? But in verse 1, there's already something important that we need to note. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. 
Now, Paul is actually writing this letter to the Ephesian church, uh, a Greek church in uh, modern-day Turkey. Paul, an apostle, he's a, a missionary, a church planner. He's writing this letter, and he's writing from prison. And it shows you something about this message that he holds. How valuable and how precious is this message that he holds. That this is a message that he's willing to be imprisoned for, to lose his freedom for. This mission that he has, this message that he carries is so, what would you, what would you be willing to go to prison for? Well, this is what Paul is willing to sacrifice everything for. This mission, this message that he has. And what is it? Well, let's see what Paul says about this mission. Firstly, is it's a mystery made known by God. Have a look at verses 2 to 5 with me. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. The mystery. He keeps saying that word over, over and over again. The mystery of Christ. Now, what is a mystery? A mystery is something that isn't known something that's hidden away. That's something that, it's something that's secret. Yeah? It's something that needs to be revealed for you to understand. Um, in my office over there, the multi-purpose room, which I use as my office during the week, I've got a, there's a filing cabinet there. Right? And I've got something really precious inside of it. And it's locked up with a key. No one can get to it. So you can't just go over there and have a look. Um, Patrick can because he's got a key. But anyone else, you can't... And I'm not going to tell you what's in there. Right? It's a mystery, right? Only I can reveal it to you. Right? Don't think too hard about it, all right, guys? <laughs> that's what a mystery is. It's something that's hidden away, something that needs to be revealed, something for you to understand, to actually see. And the mystery that uh, Paul is talking about, let me tell you, is far, far more important than anything that I can tell you about. The mystery, it's the mystery of Christ. A mystery revealed to Paul and the other apostles by the Holy Spirit. That's the key that unlocks the mystery. The Holy Spirit reveals this mystery. What is it? We'll have a look at verse 6 with me. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. That's the mystery. Now, yeah, if you read that passage, uh, because of what we've been talking about in the past few weeks, you might, might have heard this, that the mystery is that Jews and Gentiles can come together and share in one family, right? That, that's the new revelation. It seems this is the mystery that's revealed. Well, that's not really the full picture. That's not really the mystery, right? Because um, from the very beginning, right from the very start, right, this, what was revealed to the Jewish people is that, yes, they were the special recipients of God's promise, but there was always the plan that God was going to use them to bless the rest of the world. Right from the start, right from the very first promise to their forefather, Abraham, there was a little promise in there that their blessing would go to the rest of the world. So the fact that Jews and Gentiles can now be together, that's not really a mystery. That wasn't something unknown. That was expected. What is the mystery that is actually revealed? Well, the mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together, one body, and sharers together in the promise, in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. This 
is the mystery. This is what is unlocked by the Holy Spirit in a way that no one else knew before. Only now in the apostles and the prophets, the people that have written our scriptures for us, only through the uh, revelation of the Spirit given to them is this new knowledge given that it is in Christ Jesus that all people can come together and be part of one family. And there's that phrase again, all throughout the book of Ephesians, right? In Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Because it is only, only in Christ that the church comes to be. It is only as Jews have faith in Christ and they come united to His body, as Gentiles have faith in Christ and are united to His body, as anyone and everyone has faith in Christ and is united to the body of Christ, that we all share one body together with Christ, in Christ. Union with Christ is the key. This is how a new humanity comes about. In Christ. In Christ. It's only through sharing one body together that we get to share one heavenly inheritance together. That's what it says there. Heirs together with Israel. That we get to share one body together, members together of one body. And we share one promise in Christ Jesus, the promise of salvation and eternal life, only in Christ. Friends, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Without Christ, we have nothing. Without Christ, we have nothing. Being in Christ is vital. But let's give thanks that we don't have nothing, that we have all the privileges that come uh, of being in Christ. If you're a Christian here today, um, you know the mystery. The mystery's been revealed, hasn't it? God's worked in your heart to help you know by the Spirit, that's the key, that this is the way to salvation, that this is the way to be part of God's new family. He's, the Spirit has been working through history. The Holy Spirit's the key here, really. He's been working through history to actually reveal uh, to this knowledge to the apostles. Then He's attended to every one of their words as they wrote it down in the Scriptures for us. And now, as we read the Scriptures, the Spirit is working again to enlighten our hearts, to actually understand this and comprehend it and believe it. He has unlocked the mystery for us, the Spirit. What a privilege it is to know the mystery. It's a privilege, isn't it? Now, um, I was talking to you about my filing cabinet before. Do you want to know what's in it? I'll tell you what's in it now. I'm going to reveal the mystery to you. So, something precious that's inside. Um, I've got some little notes in there, uh, little notes written by my wife, notes just say, that just say encouraging things to me. Because ministry, to be honest, can be discouraging. And sometimes I'll look at those notes and it'll help me to be encouraged to go on. And that's very precious to me. And now you know... Now I've revealed my mystery to, to you. Now you have the privilege of insight into what is in that mystery. And friends, in the same way, it is a privilege to know what is the mystery of Christ. Not everybody has it. You know, not everybody knows what I've just told you right there, but in the same way with Christ's mystery as the Spirit reveals it to us. What a privilege that we get an insight into this mystery. What a privilege. That's something to give thanks to God for. And friends, if you're here today and you're not yet a Christian and you're wanting to know more about God, we're so glad you're here and that's already a step towards Jesus and that's fantastic. But I'd ask you to do something. I'd ask you to pray. 
And I'd ask you to ask others around you to pray because the only way that we really comprehend and grasp this mystery is through the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit. Now you, in one sense, you know the mystery because I've just told you the mystery, but you know the mystery here. And you need the work of the Spirit to know the mystery here in your hearts. That the work of the Spirit, and if you want to seek God, then pray for that and ask others to pray for you. That conviction to trust Christ, to come into this family, that is a special thing, only done by the work of the Spirit. So friends, we know the mystery of Christ, but that should lead to somewhere, shouldn't it? And where I point to, we show God's wisdom. As we turn to verse 7, Paul goes on to talk about his unique commissioning as a minister of God. Have a look at verse 7 and 8 with me. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Now, there's two things to note here about these verses, all right? Two things to note about these verses um, is that Paul became a servant of the gospel through the working of God's power. That's the first thing. And the second thing is that he calls himself less than the least of all the Lord's people. All right? So what's he talking about here? Well, if we look at uh, the book of Acts and we look at the story of Paul and how he got to be where he is today, it is an incredible story. Because you know who Paul was? Do you know why he calls himself the least of all the Lord's people? It's because he used to be a murderer of the Lord's people. He used to be a person that took Christians and threw them into jail or actually watched and supervised their execution simply because they followed Christ. Right? This was who Paul was. This was a man who hated Christ, who hated God, yet became one of the, probably the most influential missionary in the world for the name of Jesus Christ. And when you think about that transformation from murderer to missionary, from enemy of God to friend of God, how does that come about? Well, it's only through the working of God's power, right? That's impossible for that to happen by any human means. It is God's work to change hearts, and we see God's incredible power to change, God's, uh, to change Paul's heart to what he is now, a person who loves the gospel, who's willing to die for the gospel, who's in prison for the gospel. That's the power of God. As we read that, this is just a bit of a side note, but just a reminder of us that God is powerful and He can change anyone. You might have a friend who you're trying to tell about Jesus or you know, bring to church and whatnot, and it seems like it's impossible. It seems like that's the last thing that they'll ever, ever consider. That they'll, they won't, that, it's just not going to happen. Well, let me tell you something. God's bigger than that. He can change the heart of Paul the murderer to be Paul the missionary. He can do anything. And that's just an encouragement for you to keep praying, relying on God's strength, and who knows what he'll do. There's no guarantee, but we know that God's able. That's just an encouragement, friends. Keep praying. Keep reaching out with the gospel. Who knows what God will do? But as we look at who Paul is, um, another thing to note is that he calls himself the less than the least of all the Lord's people, the smallest of all God's people because of this terrible past that he's done, that he's had, and what he's done to God's people. But let me tell you something about Paul. Because of that, you know what Paul is acutely aware of? What he never, ever forgets about. 
It's grace. Grace. The undeserved gift that he's been shown. I don't know if you notice in all Paul's letters, and even in these passages, right? Became a servant of the gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me. Over and over and over again, Paul talks about grace because he knows how undeserving he is to have the gospel. Now, friends, we can take a leaf out of Paul's book. Maybe we're not murderers of Christians, but we're all sinners who don't deserve the grace of God. Paul is acutely aware of it. He goes on about grace all the time. Are you aware that your salvation is purely by grace? It's an undeserved gift. It's a gift, friends. That's why Paul talks about it so much. He's been given the gospel. He's been given a mission for this gospel. And what is that mission? Well, have a look at verse 8 with me. Have a look at the second half of verse 8. This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. All right? Um, so Paul's mission is twofold. It's to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's also to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. Um, and the word make plain actually uh, in the ESV, I think it's and in the original, is actually closer to give light, to enlighten everyone. So what Paul is saying is that his mission is to preach and to be a gospel light to the world. A light to the world. Now you don't realize how important light is until you don't have it, right? That we take for granted that we have light. Um, but back when, in the days before smartphones were around and you just had that instant light everywhere, I remember back at my old house, uh, back in Mansfield, in, uh, we used to uh, have blackouts sometimes. And when blackouts hit, man, that was, that was crazy times for the kids, right? Me and my brothers would run around, we'd try and find candles because the house was in pitch black. We couldn't see anything at all, right? We were stubbing toes or knocking things over. And, but as we found these candles, and as we lit them up, There was light, and we could see again. We knew where we were going. We could see what was actually going on. We could do our homework. That's what our parents cared about, really. So um, my dad's here, all right. He'll attest to that. (laughs) But without light, you you can't see. You don't know where you're going. You don't know what's going on. But Paul says here that his mission is to bring a light into this world. There are so many people lost in darkness, looking for something. But it's only in the gospel that light comes to show them the way. A light in the darkness. And this gospel light that he carries is so precious. So precious because not only does it show people the way, but it creates a new church, a new creation. All right. So this is what Paul's focus is, the creation of God's church. Have a look at verse 10 with me. Verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, do not be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. 
Once again, Paul is talking, don't be discouraged. I'm in prison, but don't be discouraged because my suffering is for your glory. My suffering is so that God's church can come into being. And that is what Paul cares about. That is what's important. All right? Verse 10, it's, it's giving the reason. So that, you know, Paul preaches, Paul's the light to the world, so that God's church may come about, that God's manifold wisdom may be known to all creation. Now, the word manifold, what's that mean? Um, it's, it means multicolored, diverse, intricate. It means uh, ornate. It's, uh, it's like a rich, um, it's like a, a tapestry, right? With many colors, many textures all coming together. Uh, it's, another, it's a word that's used to sort of describe um, Joseph's robe back in the Old Testament, a rich, ornate robe. The manifold wisdom of God. This is a description of God's wisdom, How is it a description of God's wisdom? Well, because it's a description of His church. Because remember what we've been talking about. The mystery of God is that in Christ, all people can come together. Every single person, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what color your skin is, no matter what language you speak, comes together into one family in Christ. And as God's manifold church comes together, His diversity comes together, it shows the manifold wisdom of God that He has instituted a community, the only place on earth where all people are welcome. The only place, no matter who you are, where barriers, like we said last week, where no barriers exist. This is the only place on earth where that happens. This is God's manifold wisdom to create this community of all people. And our churches should reflect that, shouldn't they? Should reflect God's manifold wisdom that no matter where you've come from, no matter what job you've got, no matter what education you have or lack of education, no matter what status or class or whatever else, that those things fade into insignificance because in Christ we share something bigger and we exist as one family. That is the manifold wisdom of God as His diverse, intricate creation, His church, comes together as one family. Now, I guess as you look around the church here, you might be thinking, oh, we're not, well, we're not that diverse, are we? You know, There's a majority of Asian faces amongst us. Uh, but friends, let me, let me say something. Yeah? It's not, this verse isn't telling us, it's not as this as if we have to go out of our way to go, oh, we've got to find a few, um, a few African people to bring in and a few more Caucasian people to bring in so we can just you know, look a little bit more diverse. That's not what this verse is saying. Because we should give thanks for what God brings His church together, right? And He's brought you all together as His church. And it's reflective of our history as a Chinese church, reflective of the area around us. It's not something we should be ashamed of, right? But what it is that we have to think about is what is it that defines us as a church? Are we defined by the fact that we're Asian? Or are we defined by the fact that we're in Christ Jesus? Because friends, that is what matters. If we ever lose that as our defining feature, that it's in Christ Jesus that we share together as one family, then we failed. Friends, we need to be a community that um, maybe doesn't reflect at all times this uh, picture that we see of the church, but we need to be welcoming 
We need to be open. We need to be, um, for all people who are God's people, we need to show the same love and no, no partiality. We need to be a church that reflects that wisdom of God, that barriers are gone. That's what it means to be his church in Christ. Now, friends, the church has such an important place in God's plan. I don't know if you realize this. Have a look at verse 11. According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Right? This was a plan right from the start. Eternal plan that the, that the church is at the center of all God's plans. Right? And why? Uh, the manifold wisdom of God, verse 10, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Friends, have you thought about how significant that is? Have you thought about the fact that the church is at the center of God's eternal plan, that the church, right, the heavenly church gathered by our local churches, which express that? Have you thought about the fact that this is at the center of God's plan, that we are at the center of God's plan, that we, being different to the rest of the world, is at the center of God's plan? Why? So that all may see the wisdom of God in us. All creation. Do you see what it says there? It says, um, they, even God's wisdom to be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. We'll see later in Ephesians 6 that this is talking about hostile spiritual forces. Yes, they exist. That wage war against believers, wage war against God. That even to these spiritual forces against God, they cannot help but see God's wisdom because His church is created and gathers together. They can't deny it. God's wisdom, God's power, God's glory, it is in each of you as part of His church. The church shows something. It shows that sin doesn't win. It shows that every barrier that Satan tries to put between us will not prevail. The church shows that all nations can come together in Christ. The church shows that we are different. We are different. We do not belong to the world, brothers and sisters. We're not bound by the same barriers. We're not bound by the same prejudices that the world has because Christ Jesus has broken down every single barrier that separates us. And it is in Christ that we are part of one family. We are to stand out as different, friends, and the key way this happens is through love. And we are at point three. We know and show love. So in verse 14, friends, come with me to verse 14. Paul finally gets to his prayer. He's taken a bit of a detour, but he finally gets to his prayer for the Ephesians. It's a powerful prayer centered on love. Have a look at this, verse 16. Uh, sorry, verse... Uh, yeah, we'll start from verse 16, actually. I pray that out of his glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and how high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, friends, we're just going to look at this uh, part briefly, because it's very similar to the uh, prayer that Paul prayed before uh, at the end of chapter 1. I don't know if you remember. It's the prayer that we all need. What's that prayer? To know God better. 
The prayer we all need, to know God better. And he's sort of re-emphasizing this prayer, to know God better. But to know God better, it takes some power. That's what he's saying here. Paul is praying that his readers have power, power to grasp this love. If you look at the passage, um, they're the words that come up over and over again. Power, 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 love, love, love. Those are the words that come up again and again. We need power to grasp the love of Jesus Christ. Because this love is massive. Did you see how Paul describes this love? He describes it in four dimensions, right? How, how high, how wide, how deep, how long. You know, he, he uses, he, 3D is not good enough. It's so big, he's got to just go over his dimensions again. The love is, of Christ is so massive that Paul needs to pray for power and strength so we can even begin to understand it. That's how massive God's love is for us. Right? And even in verse 19, you look at this, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Like even, even if we have this prayer answered for us, that we may start to grasp how big God's love is for us, in one sense, we'll never truly understand it because it surpasses knowledge. It is so big. It is so massive that we humanly can't, can't comprehend the, the depths of the love that's been shown to us. That's what Paul's saying here. And what is this love that could be so great? Well, it's the death of an innocent man for us. And not just any innocent man. It's the death of the Son of God. The King of Heaven who comes down from His heavenly throne, comes to walk this earth and comes to, be suffered, who comes to suffer and be shamed and to die for you and for me. Who is nailed to the cross who is dishonored on that cross, who suffers the anger of his God that was supposed to be for us, but he steps into our place and he gives everything for us, everything. Friends, that is the love of Christ. That's the love of God shown to us. I've been reading articles about the Christchurch um, shooting the other week and over and over again I saw these articles that uh, talked about parents um, and their children do you know what every, well, in these articles, do you, do you know what, and I imagine this is every parent, do you know what the parents did when the shooters came in? They shielded their children. They were shot instead of their kids so they could protect their children. And isn't that love? And that's what God does for us. His own son shields us. He protects us. He takes the punishment, He takes the wrath, He takes the suffering and the anger of God that we deserved so that we could be safe and free, friends. That is love. And this is the love that we need help to grasp because it's far bigger than you can ever, ever imagine. Ever imagine. That Christ would die for you for me, for this world, so that we could be brought back into relationship with our Father again. So we could know peace with God. So we could be a part of a new humanity, a new people, and we could enjoy the presence of God forever in heaven. Friends, this love, it's so great, and we don't deserve it. 
We don't deserve it, but we have it. Do you realize how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ? Perhaps you've forgotten. I know that's my tendency to just forget and take this for granted. But friends, realize this. Pray for God to help you comprehend and grasp how big Christ's love is. Because if you've got that at the forefront of your minds, then you will live differently, won't you? You will be different to the rest of this world. Because Christ will be at your center. Friends, we are different. We're called to know Christ's love and we're called to show Christ's love to this world. Friends, in this, <clears throat> in this world of ours, being a Christian is increasingly hard. So we're at a point where we're going to... Let's get real. Let's think about some implications for our life. The reality is being a Christian in this world is, is hard, isn't it? It's getting harder and harder. You see Australian society being more and more hostile towards Christianity. You see census results indicating um, decrease in the amount of people confessing to be Christians. You see um, yeah, increased cases of persecution of Christians in the media. Uh, the way the media portray, portrays Christians, you know, it's just a sign of the times of what people think about us. Um, conservative values, when you think about it, are not only seen as backwards, but they're seen as almost evil, aren't they? If you hold uh, a pro-life stance on abortion, then you're going to start an argument with someone. You know, if, you, if you have an opinion on same-sex marriage that is different from the norm, then people will get angry. And it's not even a case of right or wrong anymore. It's, it's become a moral issue. It's a case of good versus evil, and we are now the evil ones. We are bigoted and intolerant as Christians. That's what the world thinks of us often, doesn't it? You see that in the media. So it's no wonder that for many of us, our desire is to keep our heads down, is to blend in, is to just you know, not, not stand out at all because we don't want our heads bitten off by some angry person because we don't fit in with everyone else. But friends, standing out, being different, is exactly what we've been called to do. We are different. No matter how much we try and hide it, we are different. God has called his church into existence, into this world. To do what? To show his wisdom to this world, to all creation. The church exists to manifest that. His glory, his wisdom to everyone else. And how on earth will we do that if we look exactly the same as everyone else? Now friends, let me, let me tell you two ways that we can think about this. Number one is we gather to be different. <clears throat> this happens when we gather on a Sunday, right? The f- look around you. The very fact that a group of people would come together, a group of otherwise strangers would come together and would share time together and share friendship and love together and serve one another and welcome one another is a testimony to God's wisdom, right? Because this thing that we're doing here, church together, this is a miracle, right? It doesn't happen elsewhere. The fact that we share something in common that is so strong, Jesus Christ, that we can gather together with strangers but yet be friends, this is, a, this is an amazing thing. And as we do this, friends, as we gather and as we show the world that we are different, simply the existence of the church shows the world that we are different. Did you realize that? 
So let me give you some practical points about that. Be present. I've said this in the past before. It's a simple application. Be present. Just be here. Because every time you gather together with other Christians in relationships of love, you show the world something different. So be present. Talk to one another and love one another. Uh, One of the application points I had earlier this year was to just ask someone after the service, how can I be praying for you? And just pray for them. And that's an incredible act of love to them, isn't it? And that is something that does not occur anywhere else in this world. We are different. As we gather and as we love one another, we actually show the world that God has saved us to be a brand new people that doesn't adhere to the old ways of this world. It's not about selfishness. It's not about me. But it's about Christ first. It's about each other that flows out of that love. So friends, be present. Keep gathering. Don't think this is a small thing. The existence of the church gathered together is a huge testimony of God's wisdom and glory to this world. My friends, of course, church doesn't finish. Our Christian lives doesn't finish when at 11 a.m. on a Sunday. It keeps going, doesn't it? So we not only gather to be that different, we scatter to be different too. Our distinctiveness goes with us, doesn't it, friends? As we go out into this world, as we go into our workplaces, goes into our schools, go into our universities, us as Christians are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We are called to be lights to this world. We're called to be different. Uh, quite a few of the workers recently went along to a conference uh, called the Life at Work Conference, where the whole key was about being distinctive in the workplace. We're supposed to stand out. And I'm not telling all of you to go and engage in high-level political discussions with people from a Christian viewpoint. No, no, no. Maybe that is right for your context. But it starts with the small things, very, very small things. It starts with just loving people in a way that the rest of the world doesn't love them. It means that you're the first person to humble yourself and say sorry It means that you show patience when everybody else around you shows impatience. It means that when someone's wronged you, you are the first to give forgiveness and not hold grudges. It means you love and serve other people even when it doesn't benefit you, right? Because when you do these things, guess what? You're different because the rest of the world doesn't do these things. And when you live like Jesus does, as you follow the example of Jesus, it shows something to the world. And that action, that behavior, those words of yours are just the first steps for someone taking one step closer to Jesus Christ. Your behavior, your words, is just the first steps to help people, uh, help you get into a conversation maybe about what they believe and how their life is going. A conversation that might lead to hey, would you like to come to church one day and find out what I believe? A conversation that would enable you to share the hope and love the gospel of Jesus Christ brings so that they can be a part of our church, so that we can welcome them in to this community, this redeemed, saved, different community, and that Christ will be glorified even more as more people enter in. Friends, We are different. Let's remember that. As we gather on a Sunday, we show the world we're different. As we scatter after this service into our weeks, we show the world we're different. Are you showing the world that? Friends, the church exists to show God's wisdom to the world. 
the church exists so that we who are saved can be different. And friends, let me tell you, as we live that out each and every day of our lives, God is greatly glorified. So let's get out there. Let's be different for the sake of Jesus. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you've saved us out of this world to be different, to be ambassadors for you. We thank you that just the very existence of our church is just a testimony to your incredible wisdom to bring together people from all over the world, from all backgrounds, to share Jesus together and be one family together. And we pray that we can really reflect our identity as new creations, uh, sojourners, exiles, strangers to this world, by standing out, by loving, by sharing the words of Jesus, by sharing the words of life. May you give us strength. May you give us courage for that because we know it is hard work as people seek to be against us. But we know a servant's not greater than his master and we know Jesus said this will happen to us as it happened to him. So Father, give us boldness, give us strength, give us courage to stand out, to be different for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.